Welcome to the Revolution of Interdependence podcast. My name is Will Sampson. I'm a social scientist who guides executives and companies to new levels of growth. If you want to improve your life all by yourself, look, that's your business. But if you want help from others, that's our business. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping each other succeed. We do that by inviting people into a growing revolution of interdependence. So let's get into today's podcast. Well, hello everyone, and thanks for joining. Um, this morning, I'm joined with joined by Rebecca Roberts, and Rebecca is a mindset coach. She's a story shaper. She's a space maker. She has more than 10 years as an interior architect and a workplace cultural strategist. We're going to dig into some of what that means. And um, through her work with, in, on this idea of inner architecture, she works with teams, entrepreneurs, and individuals to reframe their stories and free up their mind to boost resilience, unleash untapped potential, and create meaningful impact. So I am super excited to meet with uh, Rebecca today. Uh, so welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Will. I'm excited to be here, excited to play in this space a little bit together. Excellent. So uh, we always start with one question because we focus on interdependence. So tell us a story about a person or a group that was the difference maker for you, somebody that you would have a hard time imagining being where you are today without that person. Mm. Sometimes the sweetest people um, of impact in our lives wouldn't count themselves as that impactful. Right. And, you know, that question sparked, sparked a memory of one of my greatest mentors and um, her name is Helen. And I had just moved from Louisiana to Boston and I had applied at this, the, the world's largest interior design firm and I had not gotten the job. And so um, I had a little like reality check of, okay, the way that we did design at that time or the way that I had done design up until then was kind of the small town way. And now I was in this big city and all of a sudden they were just kind of going, yeah, you're not quite ready. You know, you're a little green, right. build yourself up. So I ended up working for another company that I absolutely loved. I built friendships. I built a foundation. I built a family, actually, from my colleagues at this company. Um, and I learned a lot. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, the concept like blueprints, right? We hear that term. But sure. when you build up the documents that are essentially the instruction manual for how then somebody who's got the real skills <laughs> to build takes concepts and ideas and brings them into reality. Um, and what I realized is I start looking through, right, like in my first weeks, I start looking through all of these documents and I'm going, okay, so my version of blueprints and this version of blueprints is like worlds apart. And so I had to learn a lot. I, I had a huge learning curve in those first couple of years. Um, and I had a lot of just this idea of, I'm not going to tell anybody that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm right. just going to you know, nod and smile and then immediately turn around and do the research, do the work, study right. the blueprints, see how they're doing things. 
And so I learned an immense amount in those two years, but it was a lot of self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And at some point I had a few friends that were working for that big firm that I had interviewed with at the very beginning. And a couple of them said, Hey, look, I think that you would be an amazing fit. Come on, you should apply. And I was like, ah, I've done the application thing. They said, yeah, but that was, that was two years ago. Right. I mean, this is, you're in a different place. You've learned a lot. And so I interview, I fall in love with the company Luckily, they fall in love with me back this time because they're like, oh, she knows what blueprints are. That's great. Like she knows what a set of plans looks like. And so I start working. And one of the people who had interviewed me was a woman named Helen. And I immediately liked her. She's she's a a bit of a I won't call her a spitfire. She has zest. Let's put it that way. She's a zesty lady, um, but she she knows what she's doing. And. So she hires me and I'm working underneath her and we have the, this three month trial period, right? Where it's, you get the chance to kind of prove yourself. They get to see it's the right fit. So all of this is leading up. And at some point in time, she says, Hey, come on, we're going to have the three month review. Let's go talk. And I knew nothing bad was coming because at least I had a sense, you know, I've been doing okay so far. And she sits me down. She says, okay, so. I love you. You're doing a great job, but I have to share something with you. I said, okay. And she said, I see you holding a lot of, um, a lot of responsibility for yourself, for the things that are happening. And she said, there's one side of that that's really powerful and beautiful, but here we are not an I company. We are a we company. We are a we office. And what that means is that when it's just I, you you get to take all of the accolades of everything that you do. But when you fall flat on your face, you fall alone. And she said, so that's the difference here is that at least in my team, we succeed together as a joint effort. But if ever anything happens, we fail together. We are all standing side by side in this. <laughs> and every time I say it, because this is something that I've shared a couple of times, it hits me because here is somebody that I really respected who so easily can stand on her own two feet. She could take care of herself. And she just in that moment gave me this understanding of what power lies in standing shoulder to shoulder with a team, with a partner, with colleagues, with friends, with family, with community, and that together we will always go further. We may not be as fast, right? Because sometimes I could just do things really fast. And if I didn't care about what anybody else was doing, I I could crank things out. But in that moment, and that was just at the very beginning, she, she instilled so many other beautiful lessons and memories also of, of her imperfections. She was very willing to share her imperfections with me. She broke things a lot. That was one of the funny things I can remember. She had these beautiful glasses and at one point in time they fell and she goes, this is why my partner tells me that we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you but know, she was like vulnerable. she was vulnerable yeah. and she 
owned, she owned her shit, right? Like just, and that is something that she showed me that you could do it with grace, that you could be playful, that you could stand next to each other, that you could hold each other up, that you could lean on people when you really needed to. Um, And, you know, I, I worked together with her for a number of years, but really the greatest lessons that I learned were by watching how she handled herself and seeing, oh, that's possible. Like that's possible to, to do that well. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. And I just, I imagine now your clients and the people you help almost sort of like they're this secondary beneficiary of Helen. Yes. And so absolutely their, their worlds are shaped by Helen maybe without even knowing that story 100 percent 100 percent I mean that's the ripple effect right right that's so often when we talk about resilience we leave out that key part that a huge piece of resilience is not just that I can pick myself back up but another part can be can I reach my hand out right. when when I can't do it by myself that is yeah. also resilience. That is the recognition of the fact that I don't have to do it all alone. And that has permeated all of my work life. And as well, it shows up again and again in the way that I speak with clients because I share quite vulnerably as well with my clients. Yeah. It's shaped the way you do your work. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So speaking of your work, you talk about your work as doing interior architecture and being a workplace culture strategist. Help yeah. dig into that. So, I'd love to. And there's, I got. I think we could do thirty minutes just on that question. <laughs> so tell us what. Tell us about that. Well, actually, it's really interesting. So my career in the design world, in the architecture world, let's call it, has had two different phases. The first 10 years were really focused more on the design. And there is where I fell in love with the human aspect of design. So I really loved understanding how we experienced spaces, how we interact with each other in space. And that was where I started falling in love with the culture and the strategy side of things. So more of how do I talk with people? How do we gather this information that informs the design better? But what started happening is in those first 10 years, um, I fell more and more in love with the human side and less and less in love with the design side. I wanted to understand that cultural aspect, how we connect, how we communicate with each other, But I started to notice that there was an aspect of it that was first beginning on the inside of how we allow ourselves to connect with ourselves. And you mentioned authenticity. And so I started getting very curious about that because I would sometimes be doing these interviews where I'm working with two different people and we're having conversations and they have the same boss. They work inside the same company, inside the same office. But their life experiences inside the company are night and day. And I started to think, okay, so it can't just be about the spaces that we're in. It can't just be about that external culture, about how, who we're relating to and where on the outside world. It has to start somehow on the inside. Mm -hmm. 
And so I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper into this. And so I decided, okay, so either I'm going to do a workplace psychology degree or I'm going to explore this thing called coaching. Let's see, right? Like, I don't know what it is. And there as well, a little bit of my um, efficiency aspect came in. I was like, okay, the coaching program is like a year and a half and X amount. And the workplace psychology is another four years masters. And I said, let me just, let me see what I think about all of this first. I start here. And if I want to dive deeper, I will. And I just fell in love. I fell in love with the exploration of understanding the human, like what is happening before anything ever leaves our mouths, before our eyes even focus on anything, what's happening in that inner world and how can we make that structure more robust? And so the first 10 years of my career were about interior architecture and the subsequent 10 years so far have been about inner architecture, the way that we build this stability, the way that we understand how we can relate with other people from a place of trust, from a place of curiosity, all of these things that begin first within us, but then shape how we allow ourselves to relate with the world around us. Yeah, And so that's now a lot of what I'm doing, but really cool still in the workplace setting. So I work a lot with teams, with small businesses, and it's a mix of mindset. So what are the, what are, and there you see immediately the overlap. What are the stories that I'm telling myself inside of my own mind? I call this story weaving or how we shape the the inner dialogue Mm -hmm. and then how that affects not only what comes out of my mouth but what I believe my actions what I believe myself to be capable of yeah so that's a very interesting playground (laughs) that is and a vast playground there's a lot there's a lot of room uh, room to room to grow there Um, and I love that idea of focusing on storytelling um, and I, I want to explore two co- two parts of that. One is how do we, so you, I know you focus on how storytelling um, relates to our subconscious beliefs and can help us sort of under, get at that. So I want to talk about that and then also maybe pivot or go from there to what then, how does that relate to stories we tell in the culture and in the group and particularly in the workplace culture, because I think that's my, my bias is that there's a lot of organizational psychology, but not a lot of story t- storytelling. There's a lot of, yeah. you know, organizational models, but not necessarily how humans interact. So yeah. we'll start first, like storytelling and subconscious beliefs. How do those things relate to each other? So I would actually say they're one in the same to be really honest. Yeah. What I find is that storytelling seems to be an easier access point. Because when I ask, what's the story that you're telling yourself about this? It's a lot easier than tell me about the belief system that you've adopted from your (laughs) culture, your family. And you think people are like, what? No, I don't have a belief system. You know, that like, that's not what I do. But if I say, what is, what's, what's the the sentence that is being said right now inside of your head, as I say this, and they're like, BS, like everything in me rejects what you're saying. And I'm like, okay. So the story that you're telling yourself is what that crazy lady sitting on the sofa across from me just said is complete lunacy. There's no way that I'm creating this life. 
this mess that I'm in, it's their fault or it's this, you know, right. right. These types of things. And so then we can start to, to dissect, to disassemble Mm -hmm. in some ways it's reverse construction, right? Because so often what we think we, we live in a very additive culture, meaning it's all about gathering. It's what are the other degrees that I need? I need this certification. I need this job title. I need this partner. I need this amount of money. I need to check, 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 check. And I'm fairly certain that this is the point where a lot of times we have this midlife crisis, identity crisis, where all of a sudden, all of the things that we've been told our whole lives, yeah, once you have X, Y, and Z, no problem, you're going to be good, right? That's when you reach nirvana. That's when you hit that happiness place. But somehow I'm not experiencing joy and fulfillment. And I've checked all the boxes, or I see that I'm not going to check some of those boxes. What now? Something is missing. And oftentimes that's something that's missing. What? No, not oftentimes. That's something that's missing is what's going on in here. It is the perceiver. It is the lens that I am looking through. And when I start to look at the stories, there are two different aspects. There's one that's present moment stories. And then there's one that I call the opportunity for voodoo, which is one (laughs) of my favorite things, right? I come from Louisiana. So land of voodoo. Oh, yeah. And so the first, that present moment is, can I actually not deny any of the emotions that I have, but like allow those emotions to sit there and go, what is really happening? Like in this exchange, if I, if I, I can allow my excitement and all of that to be here, but what's really happening is there's one meat sack sitting in one place somewhere in the world, making noises with my throat as it vibrates and some magic happens that some brilliant people came up with to connect our meat sack faces across (laughs) the globe. And so I'm making some noises and you're making some other noises and that's what's happening. Right. 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 But then my experience here goes, Ooh, that was an interesting thing that he just said. How do we play with that? Or man, I can't believe that he just said that. Now all of my emotions have shifted. And so it's that ability to recognize that our stories make the movies more exciting, right? They're they're no longer neutral. They give it flavor, which is what makes our lives exciting. It's just when we forget that we're the one who's actually like in the director's seat creating the movie sure. <laughs> exactly yeah. and we're the actors and it's a very dynamic and analogy, the script writers right? yeah we're everything right. all wrapped up into one but we forget that a lot of times and so then we start to feel like oh my gosh life is happening to me oh <laughs> instead of how is this happening for me or even right. better life is flowing through me i am creating this And so that's one aspect. That's that present moment storytelling of how I'm choosing to interpret and tell the story of the facts and details that are all around me. But the voodoo part is the part that's so interesting because this is where we actually start to realize that we have some impact or some ability to reframe and reshape our stories of the past. 
things yeah. that we may have. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this. If you've ever experienced this will of like you had a tough traumatic event somewhere, you know, back in your, back in your life. I had one I can remember. Um, and I will say, I use the word trauma in that trauma is things that anchor deep, right? So we have all as humans experienced trauma. I had some that were on the, on the scale of what is capable on that spectrum, very light. In fact, when I was young, I hated public speaking. And my senior year of high school, my last year, I was nominated to a position that I had to stand in front of our entire school twice a week and introduce people and make cold calls. It was like my version of hell nightmare all wrapped up in one. (laughs) Right. And so I was miserable. So every time I would get up on that stage, I would have a bubble in my throat. I sounded like a chipmunk for the first few um, sentences until I cleared my throat. And for years, I was angry that I had been forced into that position. But at some point in time, I realized, ah, through that year, I learned certain skills that now I would not be able to do the work that I do without having been almost forced into that role. So for a long time, I had a lot of anger and frustration at the fact that I had to do that role. Yeah. Which first I didn't have to, I could have turned it down, but my pride was a little bit too high. Um, but I had this moment where that story became, it shifted from one of pain and frustration and anger to one of deep gratitude of, you know what? I never would have done that on my own. And would I wish that on other people? No, but man, am I grateful that it happened because it, it proved to me that I'm capable of a whole lot more than I thought that I was in the, in that realm. And so that was, that was one of my first experiences of like story voodoo, where you go back and something that was colored very dark in my memory, right? It, It was very heavy. It held a lot of weight. Now, when I look back on it, it is something that is a blossoming point. It holds a lot of light and excitement because it was a shift for me. But it's just how I choose to see it. I could still look back and find that darkness and that heaviness. Mm -hmm. And so that's as well, this mindset, storytelling, how we weave our stories. It's not just in the present moment. It's not just what we project in our imagination into the future, but we can actually change our experience of the past of how we bring that forward and bring in potential now. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's. It, um, I've, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, speaker, Eric Edmeets. Oh, he's my speaking coach. I absolutely love it. Oh, brilliant. It. I, yes. didn't, I didn't know that ahead of time. Yeah, but how Eric fun. Eric says, uh, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Amen. Amen. And I have used his concept of hindsight window with yes. countless clients. So. Yes. That's brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> this exactly. Is, uh, there's a lot of synchronicity going on here. It's great. So much. Oh, I love that you know Eric. That makes me so happy. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's multifaceted, wild fit, all over the place. He's he's got all sorts of beautiful things, but this hindsight window is absolutely glorious in that let's decide how long you want to stay in that window where you don't right. believe that this is beneficial for you. Right. right? And yeah. and some of us 
have memories that we have held on to believing that that was harmful to us and it defeated us in the present right. moment yeah because we hold on to a vision of it in the past and so yeah absolutely that's brilliant i this i love synchronicity and that's what's Thank happening you. literally right now over these over the internets yeah. um okay so th but then the next question is how do so i have a story that i tell myself about myself you have a story and these other five people on our team have a story. How do we tell, how do we begin to tell our story as a mm. group of people? Because that's, I think what a lot of people find challenging, not just in the organizational context, which you and I both work in, but also just in life. Like this person has this deeply held story about what happened, whether it's in culture and politics in world situations in the economy, whatever, they have these stories that we that they've told themselves and now we need to find a way to tell a story together how do we yes. do that oh i listened to a podcast from aubrey marcus the other day and sure. he mentioned something he he said a, a a quote and i just thought oh man that hits it so well he said you know sometimes we need to shift our our conversation and our coming togetherness yeah. from control to how do we relate with one another? Yes. And, and that's the idea that so often we have the idea, I was speaking with somebody about this this morning, that control also looks like, I want you to see me in a certain way. And so I'm going to shape my words and my body motions and the way that I do things to try and influence what you think about me. Right. And there is this fundamental shift that when we start looking at each other's stories, when we start being willing to share our stories, it is not how do I get you to come onto my side, but how do we relate to each other? How can we find ways to find human understanding mm. between the two of us, even if our belief systems and our concepts and our ideas could not be further from the truth? And so a lot of times it's, it's something, there's also a line from Brene Brown that I use all the time. Mm -hmm. That is when you're trying to talk with somebody and it's clear that there are very different viewpoints and this works wonders with partners and close friends and business partners right. is the story I'm telling myself is blank. Because what that does is it takes full ownership of the fact that this is what is happening in my reality inside of my own head, right? Yeah. I am not suggesting that it is reality as it is, because reality as it is, is neutral. It is devoid of judgment. Right. Reality is happening. It is our lens that shapes it. And so when I take ownership of the story that I'm telling myself is inside of my own head, this is what's happening, is it also, it gives me the chance to own that, so deep ownership, but it also gives whoever I'm speaking with the chance to kind of recognize, hey, I'm not claiming that this is reality. Right. I'm claiming that right now, in this moment, in this snapshot that we're taking, this is my reality, right. which is different. And so it, I'm finding it is such a beautiful way 
to communicate as well. The question that comes up inside of my head right now is, right? When we start taking ownership more and more for our own thoughts, our own reflections, and pair it with this concept of acknowledgement does not signal agreement. Right. Yes. Right? Like yep. I can acknowledge. Agreed your viewpoint i can acknowledge how you see the world i can even find understanding of you know what i can really understand how with your life experiences that makes a lot of sense it doesn't mean that i have to agree with how you see right. things and this that was probably uh, one of these moments where you know how sometimes you have these dear friends my best friend challenged me one time because I can remember I was struggling with some viewpoints that my father had. And I was like, I just don't understand why he sees it that way. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And I hate it because I know the look that comes over his face whenever he's about to say something really smart and it's super right. annoying. And, I'm, right. and he just kind of <laughs> leans back and smirks. I'm like, ah, oh, what? Yeah. He says, have you really listened to him though? Have you really tried to understand why it is that he believes what he does? Right. Like, yeah, I've listened. He's like, no, 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 you're not hearing me. Have you really tried to understand, like deeply understand, put yourself into a scenario where you can get why his belief system around that particular topic is right. what it is? <laughs> you know like oh. and, and do so, i have to yeah yeah because so much of me was in that resistance place of right. if i concede to acknowledging your viewpoint then it indicates somehow that i agree with it and this is fundamentally not the case in fact you know you hear it so much in companies right now diversity and inclusion right. but what you also hear is a whole lot of exclusion of diverse points that are maybe older, that are more, you know, coming from past generations, that sometimes it's folks that have been with a company for longer. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, oh, well, but our acceptance and our integration and our allowance for tolerance has boundaries is in a box sure exactly it does mean that there are consequences for actions absolutely it does mean that there are certain things that are not to be tolerated as far as it may mean you no longer work for the company anymore right but on a human level uh-uh on a human level you are divine yeah you are exquisite and yes, you and I may really not see things the same, but you are no less worthy of love and affection and being heard as anyone else. And that is a hard pill to swallow in this day and age. Does that relate to, um, <coughs> excuse me, I know you, you have a concept of full spectrum living. Is that, mm -hmm. does that relate to that? Tell, tell us more about that. Yes. So that concept, it, there's a deep belief that, I don't believe that anything was created just to be discarded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which means that everything that is present serves a purpose. Right. And when I say everything, my belief system, the story I tell myself is everything is serving somehow for growth and expansion, for learning, for deeper understanding, for deeper connection. 
even when everything inside of me is screaming, there's no way that this serves a good purpose, right? There's no way. And you can go from little things like, man, I just, you know, that person was very rude. How could that possibly be something that is serving this? Or even on a very intimate level, how could rage, fear, anxiety, stress, how could those possibly serve to benefit me? But I know what happens. I've seen it way too many times where people chop off part of their emotions as this is not allowed. They numb that part of themselves saying, no, 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 rage is too far. I can be a little bit upset, but rage, not allowed. Mm -mm. But what happens is it's just like a wave, is that if you chop off part of that wave, it remains balanced. So what also happens is you chop off the extreme joy, the bliss, the, yeah. the overwhelming experiences in life on both ends of the spectrum. When we start to reduce that down, this is why a lot of times we see folks that are quite numbed. And it does not mean that those things are gone. They just have been blacked out for a little while. Um, and, and so as a result, when we start to allow ourselves to acknowledge these things within ourselves, right? It does not mean we have to express them. It does not mean that because I experience rage, I need to now go put my fist through a wall. Right. But if I don't acknowledge it, then at some point in time, when my faculties are low, when my resources are low, when I'm going through immense times, those parts of myself may come out without any control on my side. Right. And so this is about how do we acknowledge the full spectrumness of who we are. Right. And allow ourselves to explore that first internally or in a place that feels safe, right? With a coach, with a partner, with a therapist, whatever it might be, or with dear close friends. Some of us have those people where you can dive into those things and they really present non-judgment. This is just one of the benefits that I find about coaching with my own coaches as well, is that they come in and they may love me absolutely and they want my success, but it is their role to not step into my story, but to be an observer and like smack me around when I need it. Whereas some of my friends will be like, oh, baby, I get it. That sucks. I'm so sorry. My coach right. would be like, man, that sucks. So yeah. if you're a creator, what do you do about this? What are you going to do? Yeah. You know, yeah. and they don't let me get away with the BS that a lot of times my friends let me get away right. with. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and actually, cool. we're, we're, we're tight on time, but I want to explore one more topic because it really, I think it relates to, you talk about unromanticizing life. Mm. And I think that relates to this. Like we have this idea, if we're, if we're directing our own movie, we think that when we're angry, we're supposed to be, you know, Al Pacino and Scarface, or we think whatever, N none of which is very romantic. Like we have this romantic notion of how we should act. And sometimes the what like even what you're advocating is not always the super sexy approach but it's yeah. the realistic approach so i'd love can you can you expound on that for a yes, minute yes yes oh i love that you talk about that because there's there's two aspects to this one is actually from a very tangible practical part like i love understanding neurochemistry like the biological what happens inside of our brains right yeah. there's a part of that that 
can rob some of the mystery of what's happening, right? If you break down what happens when somebody feels attracted to somebody else, right? It goes from the love song version of time stopped. And, right. oh, I couldn't breathe and I felt my heart flutter. Right. And if you have a neuroscientist explain it, they'll be like, well, okay, so what happened was serotonin, dopamine, all of these kind the of stuff. Flooded. It gave your heart, it allowed you. And so it, in some ways it takes something that's very romantic right. and makes it a little bit less sexy right. until you start to marvel at the human body. The fact that when we experience something like that outside, our body goes, oh, let me show you, let me give you the feedback of why this is so sweet. Yeah. And our body creates that experience internally for us. Right. Like, wow, right? That is wonder. That is magical. It doesn't sound like, I have to say, it is ruined a lot of the becoming more and more aware of what healthy right. relationships look like have ruined a lot of love songs for me because a lot of them <laughs> are like healthy, unhealthy codependence. Right. Wow. You're the air that I breathe. Like, so if I disappear, you die. That's it. That's a really healthy balance of love that we have there, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. But when we start to wonder at or, or experience the wonder of how our brain works and how that's working in perfect harmony and concert with our body and what happens when they become out of sync, when the harmony is not in alignment and how we can work with our body, with our mind, with our emotions. We can choose any access point to start finding ways back to more harmony. So that's one aspect of kind of de-romanticizing. But the other side is honestly just, can I remove a lot of the fluff? We like to talk about, especially entrepreneurship, right? You talked about working with startups. Right now, what I see is so many of these TikTok videos that, man, and I, I get, I am obsessed with YouTube shorts, right? This is right. like the bane of my existence. I have to put timers on because I love them. Right. But how often we see how sexy it is when, you know, you see somebody working hard, like digging a, a ditch and then all of a sudden they do a palm thing and the garden is done or <laughs> I've just made a million dollars, right? And I'm not saying that it's not possible for miracles to happen because they happen all the time. Right. But that miracle happens because somebody makes them available. They make themselves available. They use their hands and their hearts and their energy and they pull everything into one place. And for some, it may take 20 years right. to reach that vision. And that does not make it less sexy. It's just, we've gotten into this habit of, the instant, the instant everything, right? The 20 second videos, the five second mm. memes, the this, and to recognize that sometimes the reality is, wow, you've built up a lot of these stories for years and years and years. It may not happen that we can blast through all of them in a three hour session and you're going to walk out like Elon Musk, you know? Yeah that does not make it less incredible to see how we can create and shape our lives through the stories that we tell, through the ways that we relate to each other mm -hmm. and through recognizing the power of interdependence. That's why I love so much what it is that you're doing. Oh, wow. Well, that's a great 
spot to end on. Thank you so much. I, I feel like we could, we could have, this could have been a three hour podcast. I know I get dangerous. Um, I'm like, oh, I could just talk with you forever. Yeah, no, no, no. I have loved this. And thank you for creating the space and for really being present. Um, so this is great. I'm super excited to share uh, your story with, uh, with my folks. How do people connect with you? Probably the best way is my website, because from yeah. there you can check out the YouTube videos. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's RebeccaRoberts.com. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's probably the best way. Wonderful. Yeah. Rebecca, thank you. And we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Will. Okay. And that's a wrap for today. Please follow me on social. You can find me at Instagram. Twitter and LinkedIn at the Will Sampson. Please hit the subscribe button below to be notified of the latest episodes. Thanks everyone. And I will see you next time on the Revolution of Interdependence podcast.